Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Last December, the coronavirus pandemic began spreading from Wuhan, China, across the world. As of today, globally, we know of approximately 30 million cases across 188 countries and territories, resulting in 941,000 deaths and 20.3 million who have recovered. The United States, my own country, has the most cases with 6.7 million infected, roughly 2% of the population, and nearly 200,000 deaths, which works out to a mortality rate of almost 3%. In this interview, I'm bringing on Russell Brown, my brother-in-law, to share about his own COVID-19 experience, including his symptoms and recovery. He's a passionate Christian who can bring a faith-based perspective on this whole situation. Here now is episode 357, A Christian Perspective on COVID-19, with Russell Brown. Hello, Russell Brown. Welcome to Restitutio. Hey, Sean. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's begin by you sharing a little bit about your spiritual background, how you grew up, how you came to Christ, um, how you came to be the person you are. So my, uh, my spiritual background, yeah. So I grew up in a Christian household. Both my parents uh, loved God through Christ and raised us in that. We had fellowships in our home. But obviously, as any uh, child inside of a Christian home, the personal experience uh, with God uh, didn't really set in for me. Uh, I lived a probably morally good life in standards of like the world, hung out with people, uh, but always abstained from going too far and doing the wrong thing. I guess I had a fear of of God uh, and a fear of my parents. I was in college and exited out of, uh, out of college. Uh, that's when God just started showing me that some of my choices and uh, some of the uh, areas in the past I was going down uh, weren't leading me to peace. And again, I had no real concept of what a relationship with God looked like. I just thought because I was doing everything right and living morally right that my life was okay. But then when I was confronted with uh, how sinful of a person I really was, I remember one night when I was 24, New Year's Eve, uh, crying out to God and um, asking God to help me with the things that I was wrestling with and the sins that I was wrestling with. And it was almost instantaneous. I remember that week he just uh, he changed my heart and he helped me to uh, have a desire for him and started some of the things that I was battling with sinfully. He came and took a lot of those those temptations away. And so since then, I guess 15 years, God is continuing to grow me and mature me spiritually uh, as I stay faithful and seeking him. Obviously, a lot of uh, ups and downs, uh, but uh, as far as just staying faithful to God, he's shown himself great. So I'm just curious, what was the situation when you were 24? Were you at a um, at a camp, or uh, was it just a regular day, or what was going on there that led to this moment? Yeah, no, I was um, I was actually it was a New Year's Eve. I was working at G Tech, which is a lottery corporation, but I was doing security, and so I was I think I was in the building all by myself in downtown Providence, and uh, because it was New Year's Eve, the church does a traditional pray in the New Year. 
And also I had my friends of my high, my friends from high school, which none of them were Christians. They were doing a, they were having a party that night. And so they were like, Hey Russ, you're going to come to this party. And I feel like over the course of probably a year at that point, I was just reading through some books, even some of your, your dad's books, Change to Change and a few others as I was working security. And so I think that all caught up with me on that New Year's Eve where it was, I was wrestling with, I know the right thing to do is to probably go and pray in the new year. Uh, but also my friends are saying, come here. And I was wrestling with which one to do. And so I drove by the church and I drove by my friend's house and I went home. I didn't go to either one of them. <laughs> and that's when uh, the uh, wrestling uh, with the fence riding, I guess, really came to full exhaustion where I'm like, God, I want to I want to live for you and I want to do the things for you. But also these other things are are pulling me also uh, help me, you know, help me in that. And so he came mm. and showed himself great. Wow. And what was that like? Did you hear a voice or what was the situation? No, 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 no voice. I wish it was, but I was, yeah, I just remember I was in my, I was in my room. Uh, again, a lot of, a lot of the sins that I was struggling with, I knew had come from this other lifestyle, you know, the, the hanging out with the, the friends, the being of the world and this and the other, uh, was in my room and definitely came to tears and was like, God, help me, help me to choose you. Cause this was just another, I think it was just a life of, balancing trying to live for god or seeing seeing a desire to live for god but not fully doing it and seeing a desire to live for the world um i think that just all came to a point that night where i was like god i don't want to i don't want to have to wrestle with both sides i want to choose you i know you're the right way but but i'm struggling to do it and so yeah i just remember like i said crying out and literally crying and then i think i probably fell asleep woke up the next day and just felt the difference so what was different for you the next day? Yeah, I remember speaking with a brother of mine. He was asking me, hey, do you know if you are filled with the Spirit? And I always point to that particular time. And I won't say like that night where I just, you know, I woke up and I was like running and skipping and stuff like that. But it was just like the next day, a lot of the temptations and the desires and the things that I was struggling with were slowly dissipating they were they were being they were being moved and i didn't have that urge to want to um dabble in the sin that really had a stronghold on me so you know that was my response back to him where i'm like this is how i know i may not have a situation where i was in a you know dark alley and was a crazy you know drug user and then all of a sudden the next day i didn't have it but it was for me that's how i know that god's spirit was coming inside me and was filling me because the urges that I had for sin and the chains were being broken and being released. So, yeah, very good. Very good. All right. Well, mm -hmm. let's get into your COVID experience. I think a lot of people are interested to hear if COVID is everything that, you know, it's been hyped up to be or argued against. There's so much controversy over it. I know, I remember early on in March, there was just a, a whole slew of conspiracy theories different people online posting saying, oh, this is not real. It doesn't, it's a conspiracy of the government to take control over our lives. Or, or mm -hmm. uh, there was the 5G one uh, where they were claiming it was due to the cell phone. So, you know, maybe it's your cell phone that's making you sick or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. And uh, all kinds of, uh, and then Bill Gates. Oh, it's Bill Gates. So, Gates uh, yeah, let me just ask you mm -hmm. this. Um, have you had contact with Bill Gates in the mm -hmm. last year? 
Negative. Negative. No contact. So this this one we can (laughs) probably rule out. Uh, I'm just kidding. Who knows about uh, all the origins and and whatnot? I guess some guy ate a bat. I don't know. I do know that COVID is here and that you had it. And so I'd like to, to hear from you firsthand experience. So let's start from the beginning. When did you first figure out that you had it? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll probably rewind it even more. A couple months when everything hit in March, I probably was as skeptical or had had minus skepticism as far as uh, this thing isn't going to hit me. And I think a couple of people at my work ended up getting it. And so I think reality wise, it was like, all right, this is this is back in March. Uh, two or three of them got it at our work. And so then I realized, all right, this is actually, you know, a real thing. But I think even then I still thought, okay, this isn't something you stay healthy. You just kind of stay away from, you know, people that have it or have symptoms. We were doing everything from, you know, hand sanitizer. Every time you get in the car, wipe down the whole uh, patrol vehicles. Cause obviously there's stuff that we share and even doing all those precautions and masks and stuff like that. I'm like, Totally fine. I'll be totally fine. There were some shakeups at my work. I'm a school resource officer, police officer in the city of Warwick. I'm a school resource officer in a high school. And so obviously when the high school shut down, they pulled us out of the school resource officer position and threw us back onto the road. And so, you know, we would have to respond to calls, although the call volume was lower with people being uh, inside their houses. Uh, We still had to respond to calls, respond to houses. And I think after going two or three months of going in and out of houses, dealing with people, dealing with people who are sick and not contracting COVID, I think there was a side of me where I was like, this thing really, although it is present and I'm, we're hearing of people dying, we're hearing of people that with uh, weak immune systems, how this is affecting them. For me personally, I was like, no, I think um, I think I'm 100% clear. I'm probably not going to get this thing. Uh, and if I do, I know the other officers who had gone out and they said it was it was tough, but then they were able to get back to work. Uh, so, you yeah, just forward. so just so the audience knows as well, uh, Russell is uh, a very fit person. Uh, he's uh, he's, he's somebody <laughs> you're somebody that believes in exercise. You know what I'm saying? Like you're. You're not, uh, you know, some people have an image of a police officer as being a little softer on the edges. You're constantly staying in shape so you can chase down the bad guys, right? Yeah, yeah. I would probably say I'm an old man at this stage of my life. My wife would probably say that uh, she works out more than I do. But, uh, yes, I'm, I'm in shape. Uh, I do try to work out. I do try to stay healthy, and uh, I think a lot of it I'm probably just living off of uh, a very athletic childhood, and so I'm in pretty good shape, and I just maintain. But yes, yeah. So you were thinking maybe this wouldn't wouldn't be a problem for you? No, no, I didn't think it'd be a problem. Again, with all the precautions that we were doing, we're seeing very minimal people. My my department has 160 people, uh, 160 officers in it, and we had maybe you know a handful that had contracted it and so i'm thinking all right this isn't if i'm using that thing and then of course outside of that i really didn't know anybody at all nobody from our church had it all throughout the the springtime and so as i'm seeing this it seemed like it was something on the uh the outskirts that really wasn't going to affect me personally or my family personally and so just continued to take precautions and uh roll with the change of of lifestyle what happened next yeah, so early July, I remember I was working and I received a phone call from my wife telling uh, me that we were in contact with someone the week prior who most likely 
had COVID-19. And so when she told me that I had, after I had worked a shift that day, uh, I had contact with a few people uh, that day. I was conducting uh, traffic stops. I was moved over into the traffic division temporarily to help out there. And so I conducted some traffic stops. And so just as a precautionary, I called my sergeant and let him know, hey, listen, there was a possibility that I was in contact with somebody who had COVID-19 the week prior. It's probably best that I just go and take the test the next day. And so he agreed. He said, yep, go take the test. Don't come back until you find out the results. And so in our state during this time, there was for law enforcement, you could go to the community college of Rhode Island. And so law enforcement, you would go there, let them know you're a first responder and they would have you take the test, but then put a priority on your response. So you would get it back a little quicker. Uh, I told my sergeant that Monday that there was a possibility that uh, I was in contact with someone else, but I feel totally fine. I think I was a little sore that day, but I had worked out on the Sunday. And so I just thought the soreness, the muscle soreness was from was from the working out the day before. Yeah. And so I told him, hey, listen, everything's fine. He'll, he's like, good, you'll get your negative results in a couple of days and then come, come on back to work. And so then I was like, great, I hung up the phone with him. And then later on that night, I ended up coming down with 102 fever, a, a temp of 102 degrees. Uh, so when I got the fever, it automatically clicked in my head. I was like, no way this is because I've been, I get sick, but I usually don't get, you know, a high fever like that. And so again, maybe a little doubt in my head that this was COVID, but just after having the possibility of having contact with someone else, um, I was like, all right, maybe, maybe this is it. And so my natural response is, and this isn't clinically proven. And if you ask, uh, Dr. Sarah, asthma our friend she would say this is definitely not a medical way to handle it but i usually just throw a hoodie on when i get sick and i do what my wife calls sweat it out and so i sweat it out all night and then i wake up the next day and i usually feel better so that's what i did that night i'm like hey listen i'm gonna throw the hoodie on i had a little bit of orange juice i slept downstairs woke up the next day and i was like oh i actually feel pretty good uh so i had scheduled the test for that tuesday the day that i woke up i was feeling fine went and took the test uh, at the CCRI. Uh, so yeah, so took the test, went home, uh, was still feeling okay. Still had like a little bit of energy, uh, at this point here, I'm like, nah, that must've just been something I had the day before. And now I was able to sweat it out. Uh, if that was COVID, that was a joke because I'm feeling good. And so then I started, I think I even played uh, a little baseball with my son outside. We were hitting the ball outside. And then around a little after lunch, I was just knocked out. I was extremely exhausted. I was like, I have to go inside and lay down. And so then it hit me again. And so the fever came back and I ended up taking like a two hour nap and waking up and feeling better. And so that was the theme for the course of what I say was one or two days, but my wife says, no, you were dead for like five days. Uh, and look like a zombie but so it was a matter of like sleeping hard at night 10 hours at night waking up the next day feeling good until lunchtime came and then getting really tired and then having to go take another one to two hour nap waking up feeling good again and then just that uh, continual cycle as far as symptoms go uh, for me uh, I had nothing chest respiratory at all. By this point here, the Thursday I had received my test back that it was positive. They, uh, Department of Health called me up and said, hey, listen, I want to let you know that uh, you tested, your test results were positive. And then they gave me the rundown. So now I call my work, I call my sergeant, let him know, hey, listen, I tested positive. You know, he was a little disappointed, I think, because of the last time I talked to him, it didn't seem like it was going to be anything at all. But 
So after I get the positive test results, Department of Health explains to me, listen, you tested positive, you have to go 10 days from the day that you first established symptoms or the day that I had the fever. And then they said the 10 days from that day, if you don't have any symptoms, I think two days leading up to that 10th day, then they'll be able to release you back out to society. So within those 10 days, my symptoms were head pressure, great fatigue, where I was just, again, sleeping hard at night, waking up, and then uh, having to take a nap during the middle of the day. I had a slight chest burn or like burn in like yeah, my- let's, let's talk about the burning esophagus. Yeah, I don't even know. What was that like? Yeah. What was that yeah. like? Yeah, and it wasn't intense. It was mild, but it was just, uh, and again, it wasn't my lungs. But Was it, it just, like I you ate it. something really spicy? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah like, a, like, like a heartburn. Yeah. yeah, like a heart, like heartburn almost. Yeah, exactly. That's weird. Yeah, so I had that. That was, you know, that went on for about the four or five days. Again, nothing, none of this, the symptoms were brutal, but they, you know, they were present. I think the worst part of everything was the fatigue. And then also, like I said, the head, the head pressure, like a constant uh -huh. headache every single day. Well, my si my sister said she was worried when you uh, your your hands went numb and they turned white. Um, yeah. So maybe you could talk about that for a second. What what was that all yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. So she, the, the two things that she said, she said one, she's like you were non-existent, like you weren't there. You would walk, you know, walk around the house. Often I would go outside, just sit on the um, the patio outside. Uh, or on the deck outside and I, she said you were just like staring off into the woods for like an hour or two and like she said it got to the point where the kids just stopped acknowledging you and they gave all their attention to her because like I was just kind of not all there she said that was a little concerning and the other thing was uh so a Wednesday night I'm there I wake up wake up from my daily uh, afternoon nap old man style and we have fellowship that night so I run the fellowship uh via zoom and it was great. We had, you know, we had a good fellowship, interacting this and the other. At the end of the fellowship, you know, say bye to everybody. And then I started feeling, you know, a little run down, a little tired. Uh, but the thing, my hands, uh, I looked down at my hands and they were like pale white, like really white. And so I'm like, am I seeing this wrong? So I said, Joel, look at my hands. And she's like, what is, what's going on with you? And so, yeah, my hands were pale white and like tingling, numb. And my feet were numb. Uh, I don't know if they were pale white. I don't think I took a look at, at my feet at that juncture, but uh, but I had no clue what was going on. And so I had an opportunity to share with the church yesterday about some of these COVID symptoms. And I think that was one of the times where I took my focus off of God and was looking at the actual circumstance because um, I, I went into a room and started you know, Googling, why are my hands numb and tingling? Are these COVID symptoms? And, and sure enough, yeah, other people have had this before. So I guess the, from what I understand, and again, I'm no medical professional, but what they, what it was explaining on one of the 1500 websites that I looked at, uh, I guess COVID could attack you neurologically or respiratory. And so mine was neurological, I guess, or the way that I seem. And it says your immune system goes after your spine, which causes like your hands to become numb and your feet to become numb. And so, yeah, as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, and then it takes you to another page, another page and someone talking about it and like someone else saying like, oh man, there's a possibility you can lose your hands and feet. And like, so I'm like, well, let me just put my phone down because I don't know, I don't know where this took me, this rabbit hole that I took on the, the uh, internet here. But God just had me say, hey, put the phone down and focus on me. Trust me. Uh, you're good. And so, so I slept that night, woke up the next day, still had the numbness and stuff like that for maybe one or two more days. Uh, but after day five or six, 
so Tuesday, maybe the following Monday, I had the fever, maybe the following Sunday, I started like really getting my energy back. Um, I didn't eat much at all. Those five or six days I ended up, uh, I don't have much weight to lose, but I ended up dropping like five or six pounds. And so, uh, because I just wasn't hungry, like I'd go through the day, I wasn't hungry. And so two things I had to force myself to do was one was to eat, uh, get some food in me. Like, even if I wasn't hungry, I'm like, I know I'm supposed to eat something and I know my body needs, uh, this stuff to help fight whatever this is. And the other thing was after I was talking to my sister, uh, she mentioned just trying to get like, get the body moving. Um, I don't know. She might've heard it from somebody else that had it. And so I, I tried to get like light exercises in. So I'd go in the, in the other room and I'd work out for like 20, 25 minutes. And those were helpful. Like after I was done working out, it felt like the, my blood was flowing. I felt good. Obviously, I would get tired again later on, but um, I don't know how helpful that was. But I felt like it was for me just getting the body moving when it all it wants to do is just sit down and do nothing. I felt like it was really helpful. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah. let me ask you about your faith. How did that affect your experience? In other words, how is it different for a Christian uh, to go through this than just a, a regular person? Yeah, I think that, again, I got my wife and I got to share this yesterday of just being rooted and grounded in a God who, you know, we know loves us. And, you know, before this whole thing even started back in March, uh, I was in the, the midst of my annual, what I call 30 for 30, because it started off when I was turning 30, but just like really pursuing God around 30 to 60 days around my birthday, usually leading up to Resurrection Sunday, Easter. And so so I felt like that I was in a really good position before I got it. And once we got it, that God had me in a great position, probably a position I should be in all year round of pursuing God to just be like grounded in him and understand that he's got this, he's got this covered. And you know what, even if I get COVID and die, God's got this covered. He's a great God. And my next waking moment, at no point did I ever feel like I was going to die. I don't, I did not get COVID on any kind of level that some people are dealing with it, but just having that perspective of God, you're great. You're in control. You know, you love me being able to turn to him during this. My wife, I think seeing little things too, of seeing God at work, within it. I think me hearing the possibility of me having it or being in contact with someone before I got the symptoms, I think was helpful to me. As far as my wife goes, she ended up getting her symptoms right around that Saturday, Sunday, where I started feeling better. And uh, I don't know, I saw God's hand on that because it was like, here I was sick and out of it. And my wife was healthy and healthy enough to look after me, but definitely take care of the kids during this time. And then once I started getting better, her symptoms kicked in, which is good because now my energy was coming back and I was able to watch the kids where she was kind of knocked out uh, for a bit. And so I saw God's hand upon that too. And so just being, you know, having your eyes open and seeing God at work, even in a crappy situation was really helpful to both of us. So were you praying more than normal during this time? <sighs> yeah. You know what? I don't, I'm, I'm not going to say that I was, oh man, I have coronavirus and so i was going into my prayer closet on my knees but like that wasn't that that factor there was a lot of there was a lot of downtime of just like you know like i said the time going out on the deck and just um, having people in your life is really good and important um so i remember just you know victor every every morning talking to him and just praying with him about the whole situation was really helpful just to get in your mind uh, focused on and again i'm i'm somebody who even coming out of like 
in my parents' family and just like, I don't know where that comes from, but just this whole like, hey, listen, we're not going to tell, we don't tell, we don't usually don't tell people when we're like going through something that's, you know, whatever it may be. And I don't know for whatever reason why, what the case is with that. I think there's a part of me or part of us who we don't want attention. Just be like, hey, listen, guys, everybody, I have COVID-19, give me attention and then getting comfort from that. But I think on the other side, it's really important for us to reach out to other people and to, you know, get help from other people. And so to have, if you have people that are going to point you to this great and awesome God, and so you're not fixated on the actual circumstance of the sickness, but actually your heart and mind is turned to God, uh, that's huge. And so obviously my wife primarily, you know, with her loving God and being able to be with her and pray about it, uh, my kids were great and they were like feeding off of it. They still, to this day, continue to pray that coronavirus would go away and um and they would their prayer you know hearing your, your daughter pray for you to get better during this time is just like you know it's obviously heartwarming so um so yeah so there was you know we were praying but again i would i can't say i was like intentionally oh man like i'm gonna you know fall on my knees and this and the other and again a lot of my symptoms if maybe they got really bad and i might have hit like panic mode or something but it was just a constant faithful okay god you know i know you got this and continuing to go to him I will say there was one moment where I'm not saying like I questioned stuff, but I, I definitely remember when this whole thing in like February, March, this thought came into my head of like when these other officers were getting it. I'm like, I'm like, wouldn't it be crazy if like the majority of people in the department didn't get it. And then I didn't. And then I'd be like, Hey, I get to point to God, like, look at God. Like he like totally spared me from, from getting it. And it's because everyone else got it, but I didn't because I'm a Christian. I think God gave me a way better understanding of just like how things go like i don't think christians are exempt from catching covid or whatever but i think that during that what are you going to do are you going to turn to god and then afterwards having the opportunity to be able to share with others uh the experience and point to a great god who brought you through the storm brought you through whatever you were going through thankful to have have that opportunity so yeah yeah. Uh, what about your kids? Uh, how old are your kids? Uh, what What was their experience? It wasn't too bad on them, right? No, no, it wasn't bad. So my little girl was going to be seven. She's seven now, but at the time she was six, uh, about to turn seven. And uh, Hosanna and my little my little man, Isaiah, was five. He had already turned five or just turned five. And so with them... Um, the first thing that hit in my head, and of course, like when you first hear about this COVID thing, it was like, all right, Joel, what should I do? Should I keep myself in the basement away from the whole family? But I think in this thought process, we were thinking, okay, listen, our whole family, that the whole family potentially all got it at the same time and that I just manifested right. it first. And so, uh, so I wasn't staying, like staying completely away from them, although I didn't really have a whole lot of contact, but I wasn't isolating myself. Like I'll be in the basement, see you guys in 14 days or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I was still around, although not fully around, definitely when the symptoms were at their their most serious. But as I started getting better, uh, there was one night and my son is prone to wake up in the middle of the night with his uh, eczema and allergies. But he woke up in the middle of the night and uh, he was sleeping on the floor. They had like a slumber party. There was him and uh, my daughter sleeping on the floor. And I remember going in there to check on him to see you know, if he was all right. And I put my hand on his head and he had a high fever. So I went, checked his temperature. He had 102 temp. So another great part of this, too, the day before, uh, my wife had spoke spoke to the Department of Health, and she found it wise to just 
try to get them scheduled to take the test, even though they had no symptoms at all, uh-huh. just so that, hey, listen, they go take the test, they come back negative, they're back onto the world way earlier. And so she had scheduled the test already and had it set up um, when he before he even started showing symptoms. So, yeah, he ended up having a 102 something temperature that night. I remember lying on the floor. I just remember lying on the floor and just like holding him and uh he's totally out of it you know he has like a little bit like moaning or whatever because he has a high fever and putting like cold cloths on his head uh but i just had this picture of just like god when we're dealing with something just like how he in that moment you know is there consoles us you know and yeah doesn't like what we're going through and so um there was a great picture that god gave me at whatever two or three in the morning so so he had the fever had a fever the next day he woke up you know his nose was running crazy like a faucet he was sneezing everywhere you know run down but not like totally out of it he was still able to you know i think he was sitting down on a futon and uh, of course the go-to is hey listen you want to watch paw patrol or something so he's like watching watching something on there a little later on he went to take the test both him and hosanna because they had the schedule set up to go take the test and so they get to the doctor's office. Uh, my wife has to take them in because I had tested positive, so I couldn't go inside, so I'm in the car. Um, but at this point, I'm feeling better. But she ends up bringing them in, and at this point, she's her symptoms are you know maybe initially starting as far as my wife goes. But she brings them inside, and one of the funny parts of this whole story is she brings the bulls inside, and they Isaiah has his mask on, and the doctor says, all right, can you take your mask off and stick your tongue out and go, ah. And so he takes his mask down. He sneezes right in the doctor's face. Oh, and my so, goodness. Uh, yeah, so now, listen, she had the whole protective gear on and, like, the shield and whatever, so it didn't really get her face. But um, <laughs> And so Joel asked him, why didn't you sneeze? Like, why didn't you sneeze before that? And he was like, it would have been gross sneezing inside my mask. So he waited until his mask was done. <laughs> and so <laughs> backfire. And, uh, yeah. Backfire. Let, let it out. Let it all out. So they both take the test and his results come back like a day and a half later, positive. Uh, my daughter's results didn't come back till eight days later. So the joke is that because he sneezed in the doctor's face, they did hurry up offense on his test results. But they said that's not the case. They were like, no, we just send them out. And maybe Hosanna's got sent out in a different batch because she didn't get hers back till I think like nine days later. Wow. By this point, she tested positive, but she was free to go back out into. um, So my daughter really had no symptoms at all. She had a little bit of runny nose, maybe a day prior to Isaiah coming down with the fever, but it wasn't anything to be like, oh, she's sick right now. Had no fever, just had a little bit of runny nose. And then he had that day that he came down with the runny nose and the sneezing and went and took the test, came home, slept that night, woke up the next day 100%, running around, back outside, but I guess COVID-19 positive, but totally healed. Yeah, so it was not bad for the kids. What about your wife, my sister? What was her ordeal like, if you could just uh, summarize it? Yeah, she got it the worst out of all of us as far as, so hers was more respiratory. She would say her symptoms that were the the worst, the headache she had, uh, she definitely had a sore throat, fever. She had the fatigue also. You know, she wasn't like walking around where she was like coughing crazily, where I'm thinking of this respiratory thing. I, you know, I think of like pneumonia where it's just like something real severe but she she definitely had it where she had a runny nose really run down had the fever and i feel like hers was a little longer and like it seemed like hers lasted maybe 
you know, where mine, I feel like four or five days I was getting better. Hers was a little more prolonged where it was like a little over a week. Yeah, but those are her basic. Again, you know, the headache, sore throat, fever, fatigue, runny nose. Um, she said the sore throat was really bad, but the headache was probably the worst. And then um, after we all got the clear from the Department of Health of like, hey, listen, you guys have all passed your quarantine phase of, you know, whatever. My work said I couldn't come back to work till 14 days after I got back. But just the Department of Health clears you after 10 days from the first day, the onset of symptoms. So once we all got cleared, uh, even then my wife, my wife's symptoms were gone with the exception of the smell and taste. And so here we are almost two months later and she still doesn't have her full smell and taste back. Uh, hmm. Wow. But they said that's uh, that they don't count that as a symptom and that could take a while to come back. Well, how, how has this experience changed how you perceive the COVID situation? I mean, you're kind of an insider now, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I won't sit here and be like, hey, listen, guys, I had COVID because I've been way more sick before uh, with other illnesses. And I was kind of like, oh, man, this thing really wasn't that bad. I remember even in the midst of it, I was waiting for it to get worse. And so I'm not going to sit here and be like, hey, listen, COVID-19 is a joke. It really isn't that bad because I think it affects people differently. You know, to see me get completely different symptoms than my my wife and we both had were in the same house together you know i had no runny nose at all i had no sore throat i had no coughing and so um i think it affects people differently it's off obviously an eye-opener of like hey this is real um this is something that does you know does spread is it something that we should be crazy nervous about no obviously going through it i have i feel better now you know after going through it seeing god's hand upon our lives and uh being thankful that he's designed our bodies to fight any kind of virus off it's real the coronavirus is real and you can get it and it affects you and it gives you symptoms and who knows what spectrum of the symptoms i had i was hearing of another female in our church who you know and she's probably a little younger than me but she said somebody that she had gone to school with was and i don't know how close she was now but she was completely healthy from her understanding and caught covid and ended up dying so and she didn't get into like extreme details as far as her symptoms but it's eye-opening to hear that that it could affect one person one way affect another person another way but from what i'm hearing the majority of people that get this especially if they're healthy your body fights it off as god's designed it to do yep uh one i think one of the biggest problems that we face with getting a handle on COVID is just the way the news reports it because uh, the news is not going to report your case, Russell. It's not going to report the case of somebody that it was mild or non-symptomatic, right? They're going to report the case, like you just mentioned, where somebody died even though they seem to be healthy, right? Um, because, Because by its very nature, that's sensational and that's going to get advertising and that's you know even if those weren't true that's more interesting to read about right so um i think that's one of the problems we've seen with the news so much is that they're always pushing these like extremes and uh because that's what they report on that normalizes people's sense of what a covid experience is like rather Mm -hmm. than the average case, we, we think of the horror stories, right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that's I, I don't have a solution for that, but I think that's something to keep in mind with this whole thing, that probably your experience was an average-type experience, and Joelle's as well, and uh, for the kids. 
you know, and, and yet what is the greatest fear that uh, people are facing right now? Well, it's about going back to school. You know, it, but if the kid's experience of this is a two-day runny nose and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, 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 a minor fever, this is not really a, you know, significant yeah. enough reason to, yeah. you know, but I, you know, I understand there's also teachers, there are janitors, there are cooks, there are uh, other kinds of staff, mm-hmm. support staff, yeah. uh, police officers like yourself. And so for, for whatever reason, it is more dangerous for adults than kids. So I guess maybe that's part of the equation, but I think people, myself included, are, are uh, more worried about kids than they are about adults, and this thing really does hit adults more than it hits kids. So it's really, it's really uh, kind of opposite, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was gonna say, obviously, I'm supposed to be going back into the school as a school resource officer in our city, and they've, our city is the only one in our state that said, "Hey, listen, we're not doing in person at all." Uh, and so they pushed it back two weeks, as far as the state goes, with schooling supposed to start, I think, mid September. But our city, the city that I work in, said, "No, nope, we're doing virtual only." I think it's because of that fear, that fear of like, oh, you know, one person gets it or one teacher gets it or there's a lot of unknown with this whole thing. And so people are naturally just fearful of like, you know, what if I get it? Or they hear, like you said, the case of the extreme circumstance and uh, it has people showing their, you know, vulnerability and how shaky they are. And that's why it's really important and a great time to point people to God uh, during this time. I know the one person that had gone it early in March in my police department uh, was someone who I'd spoke the gospel to about 12 years ago uh, during third shift. And she was mentioning how she got it and how her husband ended up getting it. And he had it really bad. And it was a point where she just thought about God. So here it is, you know, 12 years later, she doesn't really have any relationship with God at all. And then this thing comes up, you know, maybe here and there, she probably pursued things of God, but then she ends up getting COVID-19 and her husband gets it. And now they, she starts pursuing, you know, God and then him who really didn't want anything really to do with God at all. From my understanding, uh, there was a point where she walked in there and was like, Hey, listen, like, can I pray for you? And he was like, I'll take anything right now. And so they end up praying together. And so to point people to a God who, who loves them and a God that they can trust in while they're, you know, people are putting their trust in trying to, trying to put their trust in everything else, the governor, the, this person, you know, the department of health. And they're all on completely different pages, like um, as far as what this thing is all about, you know, putting our trust in God and uh, not saying let's be reckless and go crazy. But we should be a people that are solid in our foundation of understanding God and his love for us and the bigger picture and the coming kingdom. And uh, with that, not be people who are walking around fearful and uh, timid about stuff. Thank you for that. Well, one last quick question. Do you still wear a mask? I do. I do. So I joke with everyone. I'm like, if I'm in a group, I'm like, hey, I'm the least likely to give you COVID because like, I already had it. Right. So I'm done. My <laughs> body, my, my body fought it off. This, you're going to find someone else. So you should everyone should be wanting to hang out with us and come in our house. <laughs> so at our work, it's it's actually they put out a couple of emails where they're like, hey, listen, you're out in the public eye because, you know, we're pulling over cars and, you know, people are calling up our department and saying, hey, listen, I saw an officer who pulled over this car and he wasn't wearing a mask and he had his head like inside the car talking to the person. And so so there's some officers who feel like there's no need for it. There's other officers who feel there is. But just like the perception wise. Um, and so for me, what I've been doing is I've been, I've been wearing it. 
uh, I, you know, if I have contact with somebody uh, out there, especially while I'm in uniform, you know, I put it on, I throw the mask on just again, as of, Hey, listen, this, this might give this person a little more comfort. I don't know. There's other Christians who say, hey, listen, you put the mask on and now you're showing people, you know, a fear side of things. And now they see, Oh, mask on. And they, and there are a couple of those where you pull them over, they don't have their mask on. You have yours. Like, Oh man, I don't have my mask. I get that, you know, once or twice a day, like I don't have my mask or whatever. And I'm like, hey, it's okay. I'm just, you know, I have, I have my mask on. So again, do I wear it because I think that I could give something or, even receive something i don't think at this stage right now after my body just playing it off i don't think there's a possibility of that but just the mm. perception of it that i'm representing my police department yeah uh, so give people peace i guess yeah it's interesting because i i've seen conflicting studies on this maybe two days ago i saw what appeared to be a legitimate study on uh, immunization against coronavirus in the T cells, uh, over against the antibodies or whatever. It's not, this is not my yeah. field either, Russell, but, uh, <clears throat> anyhow, they were saying that, um, people showed immunity to COVID-19 months and months and months later. <clears throat> and that is, that it's looks like it's a lifetime immunity, like it is for lots of other diseases. And then, uh, just today I received an email you know, where the news is reporting on one guy in Hong Kong who uh, just got it a second time. And, oh, uh, yeah. you know, so I don't know what to make of that, but uh, I, I hear what you're no. saying as far as, you know, you have a kind of responsibility to uphold the image of the police department. And, uh, mm. you know, like a lot of the stores where I live here in New York, which, by the way, in my area, I don't know what your area is like, but our numbers are incredibly low. And they have been this whole time. Uh, there mm. was, you know, maybe a little spike there in the middle uh, of maybe April or something like that. But it, it wasn't significant. It wasn't. But um, anyhow, if you go in a store, most of our stores around here now have a sign that says essentially no mask, no service. Yes. Yeah. And that doesn't really make room for people like you who are. COVID survivors <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> who should be able to like be knee deep in it and uh, operate just fine. So, uh, yeah. you know, I was, I was thinking of you in that, in that light that you're in a sense, you know, should be given a, I don't know what they could give you like a, a special tag or something you could wear that like gets you in for free without having to wear a mask anywhere. Uh, exemption. I guess not. I don't know. <laughs> it's not overly strenuous or harmful to me to put the mask on even if i'm going to a store or whatever so i just put it on if it brings other people peace and comfort if they ask us to do something maybe more severe or whatever then i would understand it and then even for my job like we get calls where you know a certain storm of a trader joe's had called up because there was a guy there refusing to put his mask on and he wanted to get inside and so they called us the police show up there and then, you know, we just, we reason with the person and be like, Hey, listen, this is their policy. You have to buy by their policies. And for the most part, people cool down after the police show up and be like, fine, I'm out of here. I'll go to Aldi's or something. I don't know. But, uh, and they end up going to another store, but yeah. So some people, they feel like they might have exemptions medically or feel like they shouldn't have to wear it or that doesn't really do anything or this and the other from my standpoint. Yeah. Again, I don't think it's harmful to wear it, so I'm just like, all right, it's going to bring somebody peace. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how it's divided even just like 
the Christian church, and I guess that's a whole other podcast for you, but it's just like how they, you know, one church says we should have it and stand your ground and, you know, a prominent figure in the Christian circle. And then another church says, no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be having it. And, um, and so just seeing that, how the devil has used this even to come and divide Christians, it's not a, it's not a good look uh, for Christians. And I guess, I guess two people could have two different dissenting views on the whole thing, but in the end, can they still be, you know, loving with it and not call the other person not a Christian because of it? So, but yeah, some of those things, these yeah. things come in and they can definitely divide the church. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got lots of people on both sides and some, there's a lot of people in the middle, a lot of people yeah. that are just going with the flow, not taking a strong position on it. But uh, yeah, in my experience here, I've got people that uh, won't come to church uh, or church mm-hmm. events because we wear masks and uh, they think we're just giving in to the the evil government and mm-hmm. uh, whatnot by having people wear a mask during the service. Mm-hmm. And then I've got plenty on the other side where they say, I'm not coming back to church probably ever, or if I do, it won't be until there's a vaccine or this whole thing's yeah. over because I don't trust you even if you have a mask on it's not enough and i've got i've got plenty of those on both sides of that and it's it's mm-hmm. been a real challenging time to figure out how do i accommodate these different views and there's not a clear scripture on what to do in a pandemic and uh, yeah. or especially a mild pandemic you know like if it mm-hmm. if this has such a much more acute level of mortality I think it would be a, a lot easier, in one sense, as Christians to deal with it. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, thank God it's not more deadly, but because it's not more deadly, you have a lot more room for opinions. And yeah. uh, so it is definitely a strange time, and I appreciate you bringing your experience to bear and uh, for how you're bringing uh, attention to God and His glory out of this rather than contributing to the dumpster fire that is uh, discourse in America today, uh, where people are just shouting at each other across uh, different yeah. divides, you know? Yeah, yeah. Definitely an opportunity for Christians to stand out and, uh, and be loving and be supportive. And again, to point people uh, to a great God that uh, they can trust in in their fear. So, Yeah. All right, well, thanks for talking with me today. You got it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this interview. I'm going to be bringing back Russell Brown next week for him to talk about another extremely relevant issue, the whole question of Black Lives Matter. So stay tuned for that. If you'd like to know more about Russell Brown, uh, I do have a teaching of his on parenting called Disciplining Children that you can find in this podcast feed on the show notes. And he also shared a very similar testimony, I guess is what you would call it, with my sister at their own church in Rhode Island, Living Faith Christian Church, called Trusting Through Storms. I have a link in the show notes to the YouTube video of that if you want to see them in action. And uh, there are a number of other YouTube videos that I have links to and another audio teaching he did at a weekend back in 2018. So take a look at any of that if you want to follow up on Russell Brown. Additionally, if you would like to share your own coronavirus experience or make any comments on what was said or asked any questions, you can do that at restitutio.org. Just find episode 357, A Christian Perspective on COVID-19, 
and uh, would love to hear from you what you think about this whole issue as well. Also, I wanted to let you know that we have a new online fellowship, a virtual fellowship through Zoom that you can join called Salt and Light Study Night. And this is a really great opportunity to get some Christian community where you can have some Bible-based weekly study and conversation. You can get prayer. Uh, You can pray for others. And this is just such an important aspect of Christianity that many of us who live in isolated areas are not able to take advantage of. This meeting is currently happening on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. It's coordinated by John and Paula Ely of Virginia, but it's got other members from other states around the United States, and uh, there's certainly no reason why some of you listeners from other countries couldn't join in as well. I think they would love to have you for this meeting. If you'd like to find more information out about this group, this meeting Tuesday nights, you can email them to get the link to join in. Uh, You can email them salt.light.studynight at gmail.com, and I've been told that those dots are optional. So saltlightstudynight at gmail.com. To get more information, shoot them an email, tell them you're interested, and they will get back to you. Uh, It's a wonderful group of believers, and I I highly recommend joining in. I joined in last week. It was wonderful. They're in the book of James. They're working their way through, so I I encourage you, don't be shy. Uh, Send them an email and see if you can't make a connection here, and enjoy the community. Also, just to let you know, we got a new review. Josiah Wright wrote in on Apple Podcasts saying, When I started to realize that I was seeing the Bible through colored lenses and that I was believing a lot of stuff that was not even in between the lines of the Bible, I went searching for truth. It seemed like even though I took my colored lenses off, I still couldn't see the Bible clearly enough. It took me months, but someone from Higher Ground Church, for those of you who don't know, that's a church in the Nashville, Tennessee area, recommended this podcast, and it has been the best set of clear lenses ever. Sean has helped put a lot of stuff in clear perspective for me, and that is worth more than I can say. Keep up the amazing work. I hope we can meet sooner than later. I also hope we can meet Josiah. Uh, I think we were planning on meeting in the summer here if the coronavirus pandemic hadn't put a stop to so many events. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that when it comes to interpreting Scripture, when it comes to reading and exegesis, it's all too easy to read our own presuppositions, our own conclusions from the outset into Scripture and see it the way that, see it our own particular way. And um, so, yeah, I think this is really an excellent metaphor you bring up here of colored glasses versus clear glasses. I would love, love, love to say that uh, my own glasses are clear uh, and everyone else's are colored, but I, I fear that there are some ways in which <laughs> my own glasses uh, have blind spots and are colored, and I, and I do hope to grow and learn as time goes on and uh, to identify different areas in which I might be reading in this or overlooking that, and uh, I think this is really an important mindset for all of us to retain. Some of us will go through periods, seems like what Josiah was describing here, a period of great change in our beliefs or in our lifestyle, and then we'll plateau and we'll just kind of stay there, and, uh, and, and, that, and that may be fine. I don't want to 
judge anyone else's experience here. But at the same time, what if you're not where you need to be yet? What if you're just still journeying along the way? And how do you even know if you've arrived doctrinally or you've arrived in the sense of practicing Christianity 100% authentically, which is what this podcast is all about, is restoring authentic Christianity. So uh, I think the only way to safeguard against that is to adopt a humble, an intellectually humble posture towards truth, to say there is truth with a capital T out there. How do I know that? Why am I so confident about that? Well, because I know that God exists, because I have good reasons to believe God exists, and I have experienced God in my life, and I'm confident in that. And so if there is a God, then whatever God's truth is, is the capital T truth. And uh, my goal is to align, uh, if I could use the postmodern expression, my truth, with his truth, and arrive at the truth. So that's kind of what I think we all need to be doing. Uh, So glad to hear you have joined in the fight, Uh, Josiah Wright. Thanks for writing in. On our last episode, number 356, Unitarian Bible Translations, part three, with Jerry Weirwell, Richter wrote in saying, thank you everyone for the helpful information. What what qualifications do the REV translators or committee have? Uh, So Richter, uh, this is a question better directed to Spirit and Truth Fellowship because they would be the ones who know all the different people that are on the committee. I don't personally have anything to do with the REV. Um, I can speak somewhat in regard to Jerry Weirwell, uh, that he does have two master's degrees, one focusing on Paul's epistles, and the other uh, is an MDiv a ministry degree, focusing on pastoral care and that sort of thing. So um, he definitely has the exposure in a credited collegiate environment. And, you know, I've read, I've read Greek with him before, and I can tell you that he has the chops, he understands the language, and uh, if anything, he is uh, much more of a technician of the language than I am. For those of you who don't know, my Greek, I, I learned here at my own church, uh, a young guy came in and taught us every week for about a year named Carl, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, brilliant man. And uh, then when I went off to my master's degree, I did my intermediate Greek at Boston University, two semesters there. And then um, because Boston allows you to cross-register at other schools, I ended up doing my advanced Greek for three more semesters at Harvard University at the Divinity School there and branch out into classical Greek. So I have a lot of experience uh, with Greek, and I've kept up on my Greek over the years. I read it almost every day. And having read Greek with Jerry, I can tell you that he understands the language, you know, so, and that he has not, not just a sort of uh, cavalier uh, surface level understanding, but it's, it's a deep level understanding where he understands the secondary and the tertiary meanings and possibilities for grammatical constructions and and lexical definitions, that sort of thing. So uh, he, he definitely has the chops to do New Testament Greek. As far as the other people go, I know Bill Schlegel is currently working on the Old Testament. He lived in Israel for 30-plus years, and so uh, I would assume that his Hebrew is really top-notch as a result of really just breathing that air and having conversations with people in Hebrew and reading the Bible in Hebrew, but I don't know what his academic qualifications are, or the other people, to be honest, you'd really need to reach out to them for that. John Bradley wrote in, I'll read a little bit of this, uh, 
Jerry, you are completely right to say that all Unitarian Christians should be gracious and reasonable to each other. Indeed, we are to be gracious, fair, and sweetly reasonable to absolutely everybody, Philippians 4.5. Unfortunately, however, extreme, illegitimate sectarianism is built into the founding philosophy and ideology, the DNA of some Unitarian movements, and still powerfully and adversely affects many. I'm going to stop quoting him there, but uh, yeah, Bradley, you make an excellent, excellent point here that there is this sectarianism that it's not just in Unitarian movements, it's in lots of different Christian groups where we have what I would consider a very immature understanding of truth, that, you know, the truth is sort of like our truth and we have to hold to it and fight off everyone else and police all the boundaries. So, uh, and as I already mentioned, this is this is not the style that I think is helpful or that we should adopt for ourselves, but uh, what we really should do is enter into dialogue across these boundaries, and uh, this is an important part of what Restitutio is seeking to do as a ministry is be a forum where theological differences can be discussed respectfully and meaningfully uh, so that people can see both sides of important issues. So thanks for writing in, and apologies to, uh, to the rest of you who, who, uh, whose comments I didn't have time to read out for this episode. If you'd like to leave a comment on any of this, uh, come on over to restitutio.org and look for episode 357, uh, today's episode about coronavirus. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that on our site. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.